This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Pipeline Podcast. I am Jason Rumblestrip. Rundle, Rump, what's my nickname, guys? Rumblestrip Ratliff. And I'm here with... Jonathan Mayo and an injured Jim Callis playing through the pain. Jim, you all right there? I am okay. I'm okay. I'm wor- worried about Jim, and I'm a little worried about you, Jay. I don't think you can use a nickname if you can't actually <laughs> write the first one. <laughs> I didn't realize it was going to be so difficult to say. I'd never said it before. <laughs> it rolls off the tongue. <laughs> it rumble strips off the tongue. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Jim, t- tell us about your injury. Your uh or your 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 myriad injuries. Yeah, I, 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 if I'm on the IL, it's I don't know what they would designate uh, the 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 downside having too many golden retrievers. Apparently, uh, I was playing badminton with my son last night. Uh, his kids, we only had one golden retriever running around the backyard, but apparently that was one too many. Because as I ran to the net, the golden retriever cut me off. I described it like Hal McRae barreling into Willie Randolph in the 1977 ALCS, and I like smashed up my, in no particular order, left hand, right elbow, left ankle, bit my lip and bloodied my nose and landed on my head. So it was, it was an ugly scene, but uh, nothing broken. And uh, I, I am back in action today. No concussion. No concussion. Yeah, Thank goodness. Uh, this is why in my contract, I'm not allowed to play badminton. I didn't realize that was, uh, I didn't realize you had that clause. Yeah. Um, Dangerous sport, man. I guess if it were hockey, Jim, you would you would you'd be designated with upper and lower body injuries. Yes, yes, they would designate. But the ankle is probably the most minor, so maybe we would just gone with upper body. And I don't know, would they pluralize it? Would I, would I be upper body injuries, or would it just be upper body injuries? Let's just let's talk hockey for this entire podcast. I will not have much to contribute, nor will I. Well, let's uh, let's talk baseball instead. I guess. Uh, All right, we are. Approximately 10 days, less than 10 days from opening day. And uh, we have been looking at this, as always, through the lens of uh, what that means for prospects. And we've been looking, going from team to team and looking at prospects who could, should make opening day rosters. We're going to put up a one-stop shopping story that will look at each team and break the teams down, the prospects down into locks, contenders, and long shots. And then uh, also have a a list of all the remaining prospects who are uh, in camp with their teams, but uh, not really with a a shot to make the opening day roster. Um, Some of the more interesting names, um, you know, there are several top 100 prospects who are locks to make their rosters, and I don't think many of these would come as a surprise to many people. But um, starting right up near the top, 
with the numbers two and three overall prospects in baseball, Gavin Lux and Lewis Robert, uh, Carter Keboom, Sean Murphy, Evan White, Kyle Wright, Nico Horner, Mitch Keller, Dustin May, Bruce Dargraderall, Brendan Rogers, AJ Puck. So most of these guys we've already seen in the big leagues. We've seen what all of them except for Robert and White. Is that right? Um, yeah, the, these guys are all locks. And then an interesting non-top 100 guy that is probably worth talking about uh, because he has been a top 100 prospect and he's so tantalizing because of his immense tool set is Monty Harrison. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, with Monte, you know, Marlins are one of my teams. Matt Joyce and Lewis Brinson still haven't, you know, been reporting to active duty in, in the Marlins summer camp and they're going to need uh, – need another outfielder, obviously. You, last time I checked, you still need to play with three. Um, and so I think he's the favorite to start in either center or right on opening day. And, you know, it'll be interesting because, like you said, I mean, we've all seen him, I think, in Arizona Fall League. And, I mean, he he might have the most impressive tool set of just about anybody in the Meyer League. When you just talk about raw power and, and the speed and a guy that big and, and throwing ability – I mean, he physically can do things that most guys just can't do. So I, I'm very interested to see, you know, what happens, you know, if he gets that opportunity. And, you know, the nice thing is with the Marlins, you're, they're not realistically going to, you know, even in a 60-game season, be a playoff contender. Um, so why not, you know, to see what Monty Harrison can do? It's, a, it's about as low pressure a scenario where you can kind of give him a chance to see if he can rise to the, the occasion a little bit. Uh, you know, he, he's shown all the tools as, as Jim said, and, uh, you know, on again, off again, in, in, in different areas, the swing and miss is a concern. Um, so he hit pretty well in Puerto Rico over the winter briefly. Um, you know, so I'm excited to see, you know, if you just throw, throw him out there and see what he can do. Um, you know, he, he showed he could, triple a pitching last year um to an extent so let's let's see what he can do in the big leagues in that kind of no pressure you know team not competing shortened season scenario it's kind of perfect for monty harrison to get his first taste of, of the big leagues yeah so you you have him in that low pressure sort of situation but there are there are several guys here on teams that are expected to compete and could have and should have pretty significant roles. Uh, Gavin Lux, of course, being uh, one of those players along with his teammate, Dustin May. Um, Kyle Wright, another sort of interesting situation, a team that's certainly expected to contend. And that's an interesting situation because of how he's likely going to be used uh, at least in the early on, right guys? Yeah, I think, you know, the Braves are going to, um, <clears throat> excuse me, are, are going to probably have some sort of piggyback system, um, at least to, to start the year. Now, the fact that Paul Hamels is a little banged up uh, would open the door anyway. Uh, Kyle Wright had been throwing really well in the spring before the shutdown uh, and was, th- you know, been throwing well so far. This summer, uh, you know, I think what's going to end up happening, you know, uh, at least at the outset, is that he's going to be part of this piggyback system. And 
which is something that often is used in like the lower levels of the miners to maintain workloads and things like that. Uh, I think that opens the door for more of their young arms. Bryce Wilson's going to be part of the staff, you know, and he may not made the, the opening day staff in normal circumstances this year. Uh, but uh, it allows guys to have more roles. And, you know, it's the, the rosters are 30 man rosters to start the season. So I think all teams are going to be carrying a lot of extra pitching and, and we'll have to sort of see how they will it down from there. Seems like a few of the guys on this list that we're talking about, uh, if you were to put up and down arrows next to their names, you know, kind of guys who have helium, guys that fans are excited about and, and, and not so much. Um, seems like there are a couple guys that, you know, were highly regarded and still are still in the top half of our top 100 prospects list, but came up and because of a, you know, uh, less than stellar performance at the major league level in a small sample size, feels like there's not a whole lot of buzz about them, but uh, Carter Keeboom and Brendan Rogers, I think kind of fit that bill. What do you guys, what do you guys expect from them? How much do you take from that small sample size and, and how they performed last year? Well, it's, it's funny because when I think of small sample sizes, it makes me think back to Aaron Judge when he first came up at the end of the 2016 season, struck out 42 times in 84 at-bats. And I think we had him in the 40s on the top 100 the next year going into 2017. And again, not that Twitter is the you know best arbiter of anything, but like, I mean, I, we got a lot of Twitter abuse. How can you rank the guy that high? There's too much swing and miss. And he goes out and hits 52 homers you know, while striking out 208 times. He still hit 52 homers and, and had a great year as, as a rookie for the Yankees. And I, I don't read too much into it. I mean, the fact that we're, we're still talking about them as prospects means it was a small sample size. They didn't get to play enough um, to you know, expose anything. I, I say this all the time. I Carter Keboom reminds me of kind of what I thought Alex Bregman was coming out of high school. You know, Keboom signed out of high school. I'm not saying he's going to be that good, but I think he can really hit. He got off to a, a really interesting start. I want to say, didn't he homer? I think in two of his first three games in the big leagues last year, and then kind of, you know, tailed off after that, you know, in a brief time, I, I think he's probably got more pressure on him than maybe just about anybody on this list because, you know, the guy he's replacing, he's replacing Anthony Rendon on a World Series championship club. And then with, with Rodgers, it's not the sample size that bothers me again. It, it, it's only a few big league at-bats. I, I will say with him, I do have a slight amount of hesitation because all of the parks in Colorado's minor league system are huge hitters parks, um, you know, with the exception of Hartford. And so, like, even though he has good numbers in the minors, they aren't unbelievable numbers in the minors. I, I, I don't feel like I know quite what to make of Brendan Rodgers. I like him. I, I, I just wish he had, you know, gone out and put up monster numbers for a full season somewhere. Yeah, I mean, some of it has been health uh, that's held him back. Uh, and he hit in Hartford. I mean, he had 17 homers in in just over 400 plate appearances in Hartford. So, I mean, I think the power is going to play. Uh, he's coming off the shoulder injury. Uh, you know, I saw him in spring training before the shutdown, and he looked great and he felt great. And I think the Rockies are hoping that he can play second, and that would allow them to move Ryan McMahon to first, and then Daniel Murphy could be the DH. 
I think in an ideal world, that's what their lineup is going to look like. So I think he's going to get an opportunity. Uh, and then we'll have to see what happens, you know, with his first real chance to show what, what he can do healthy at the big league level. Does Rogers and his trajectory and the way that he, uh, I mean, his, I guess his first taste of the big leagues was nothing like Trevor stories, um, which was historic, but, um, do they, does he remind, does Rogers remind you of, of story at all? Um, I think Rogers has probably put up, I think he put up better numbers in the minors than, than story did. Yeah. I mean, I think Rogers is a much more hyped prospect, uh, than Trevor story ever was. And, you know, if you talk to the Rockies front office, they take great pride in the fact that they have a number of guys who weren't like really, really elite level prospects who who have ended up being unbelievable big leaguers. Trevor Story, even Nolan Arenado was not, you know, uh, like a top 10, you know, wasn't a top-ranked prospect. Um, I think their minor league numbers are fairly similar um, stories and Rodgers' um, and both did, you know, some similar things, some swing and miss, and uh, Trevor Story had a ton of strikeouts and has continued to have a ton of strikeouts. Uh, so he's kind of stayed the same, except that the power is played uh, at the big league level. Um, you know, so I guess there's some similarities. But, you know, since Brendan Rodgers was the what number three overall pick in the draft and was you know number one on our talent board that draft, uh, this is a guy who's had a bigger spotlight and more expectations than, than Story ever had. Yeah, even though Story was a, a comp A round pick, um and did put up solid numbers in the minors, had an 817 OPS in the minors. It's like he was only on our top 100 list one time, if I'm not mistaken. And again, I mean, remember with him, I mean, you know, he played in Asheville, which is a great hitter's park. He played in the Pioneer League. He had that 2013 season where he was really disappointing in Modesto, and, and his stock took a hit after that. And then he put up, you know, good, not unbelievable numbers playing in hitters parks for the most part after that. Um, And it wasn't, I mean, he had a good fall league, I want to say in 14. You know, it wasn't unbelievable, but solid fall league. And, you know, I I remember because I was in spring training in 2016 when he was going off right before he had that great rookie year. And I think their system was super deep at the time. And I did the list back then, and I want to say I had him ranked 11th. And Greg Amsinger was just giving me a really hard time on camera. And I, you know, and I was like, look, he's, he's going off in spring training. That's great. But, you know, they have a really deep farm system. Most of those guys are in the big leagues. I, I just know he never hit for the kind of power that he showed from day one in Colorado. I mean, he showed good power, but I mean, I think he kind of projected as a 20 home run guy. And then he hit 27 homers in 97 games as a rookie. Um, you know, he was just a totally different guy. Yeah, we still we still get grief to this day in the uh, in the newsroom about Trevor Story's number eleven ranking. That's a that's a, that's a thing of <laughs> that's a, a sore spot in the office. Yeah, it's the only time we we've have ever a lot been of Rockies fans. We have a lot of Rockies fans that are irate have, about that. We we've destroyed Trevor Story's career by underestimating him. We have one particularly mouthy Rockies fan. I, uh, I I understand that every time he hits a homer in the big leagues, you can see Trevor Story muttering, number 11, number 11, number 11. It's, just, it's motivation for him to this it's day. What, it's what fueled him. 
Yes. The uh, the players ranked ahead of him on that 2016 Rockies top 30 list. Number one, and this seems a little weird to say at this point, is Brendan Rodgers. Um, we're still talking about him. Right out of the draft, right? <laughs> yep. Uh, then John Gray, David Dahl, Ryan McMahon, Jeff Hoffman, Forrest Wall, Ramel Tapia, Kyle Freeland, Dom Nunez, and Tom Murphy. You know, almost all, all, all big leaguers. And, you're, you're, and then Sensatella was after Story. Uh, German Marquez was number 14. Mike Nickerak was, was 13, and I, I skipped him there. Um, but, yeah, that is a, that is a deep – top half of a top 30 prospects list for sure. So we talked about locks to make opening day rosters. Um, let's talk about some of the more interesting prospects who are not locks, uh, but are contenders and would have to have either some things go their way in terms of, you know, position of availability or, you know, there, there's so much influx now with the health of players. Um, but some of the guys we have listed as contenders that are top 100 prospects, uh, Blue Jays right-hander Nate Pearson, Angels outfielder Joe Adele, Yankees pitcher Clark Schmidt, Royals right-hander Brady Singer, uh, White Sox second baseman Nick Madrigal, uh, Jesus Lazardo, the A's, and Cardinals outfielder Dylan Carlson. Um, I think each of those guys is in an interesting situation. Um, all, like I said, top 100 prospects. Um, who, who to you among those players is most intriguing? Not necessarily that you think is most likely to make the team, but just as in the most uh, interesting situation there. Well, the one that really interests me is Nick Madrigal because the White Sox, you know, you look at what they did during the offseason, clearly looks like they're, they're, they're planning on contending this year. They're geared up to do that. And to me, Nick Madrigal is their best second base option easily. I mean, if you're trying to win, are you going to play Nick Madrigal or are you going to play Lurie Garcia? You know, Lurie Garcia to me is a utility guy. Um, you know, but the question is, is he on the opening day roster and does he get a full year of service time or, you know, are we going to see a contender, you know, try to play games a little bit with the service time and then you don't have your best lineup in the, on the field from day one. So I'll be really curious to see what they do with that one. Like Nate Pearson is kind of in the same boat. I mean, he was as good as any Blue Jays pitcher in spring training. In fact, the last guy I spoke to in spring training when we were still traveling, which seems like it was years ago, was Nate Pearson. That was the last interview I did in Dunedin before I came home. I never made it to Arizona. And he and everybody was talking about how great Nate Pearson looked, but because of service time considerations and they're not going to contend this year, I would I would be kind of surprised if he made the opening day roster, even though he should as well. Yeah, there's um couple of guys that really stand out one is joe adele you know who i guess like when things were first opening up the summer camp billy apple kind of said he's going to be given a, a chance now he he'd only make the team if they think the angels are going to contend and he's going to play every day you know if you think he's going to they're going to contend i mean i think he's a better option to be a starter than brian goodwin you know where brian goodwin could be a valuable fourth outfielder type. And then you put Adele in an outfield corner every day. Um, 
so he he's he's one who who definitely jumps out to me. And the other is in the division is Jesus Lazardo. And of course, the only reason he's not a lock is because he tested positive for COVID and was late getting to camp. Um, now there's a chance that he breaks with the team and you know he's pitching out of the bullpen as he gets stretched out. But I think maybe it's more likely that he's stays behind, works himself back up, and then he can then he can enter the rotation once he is ready. But, you know, the A's made it to the wild card game last year. I think they uh, have a, an expectation that they're going to compete in this shortened season. They're going to need Ardo uh, at full strength once he's, once he's ready to go. I think another interesting name on that list is Dylan Carlson. And I know right now we have, we have a story up breaking down the rookie of the year, top rookie of the year contenders in each league. And, uh, you know, we we put polls up on on Twitter uh, with the top four candidates, um, and it's it's basically a runaway. And I and I think this is kind of the general consensus. And Jim, I know last week when you guys made your picks for Rookie of the Year, you went first and you picked Lux and Robert, and you know those guys are running away with the polls that we have up right now. But I have seen quite a bit, uh, quite a few comments about Dylan Carlson. You know if he gets the playing time. Well, I mean, I think that's part of it. I mean, if I was, I, you know, we just talked about it. I would probably put Keyboom second behind Lux in the National League because I think he's going to have the opportunity. He'll you know, be on a good team. He'll have good counting numbers and that type of things. But, uh, no, I mean, I mean, we talk about this all the time. We talk about Rookie of the Year. It, it always comes down to opportunity. Um, you know, I, I think there's some very talented players. You know, Joe Adele's a talented guy, but he he may or may not get the chance to play every day, and and that affects it. But no, I mean, if I mean Carlson, great year last year, very well-rounded player. Um, I'm not convinced, even if everybody's healthy on the on the Cardinals, that he wouldn't be their best offensive player in the outfield. You know, uh, among all the guys they have, but it's again, I mean, you got the service time issues too, and they have other options. I would bet he spends a couple weeks in the minors. Yeah, so I mentioned the story that we have up right now that breaks down the top rookie of the year candidates. Those are breaking broken down into the front runners um, and then players to keep an eye on. And then a handful of other players in the national league. And Jim, you just said you would put keep them second behind Lux, and that, that is uh, what William Bohr has in his story is Lux and Keyboom as the two front runners in the National League. Uh, in the next batch of players he has in the NL are Dustin May, Mitch Keller, and Dylan Carlson, and then uh, three more guys to keep an eye on, uh, Joey Bart, and then Hilliard and Horner. In the American League, Front runners Robert and McKay, and then the next group Luzardo, Sean Murphy, Evan White, and then Adele Pearson and Solak as guys to keep an eye on. When I was looking at this, I kind of wondered if you ignored uh, the playing time opportunity, if you just assumed that each of these guys was going to be um, be able to play right off the bat. Would that change? I mean, I, I guess Robert and Lux are probably still the favorites, but uh, and, and we just talked about Carlson if he if he had the playing time. Um, but are, is there anybody from either league that jumps out to you guys? If, 
if they had the playing time right off the bat, the opportunity to play right off the bat would would uh, be up there among the the front runners. Yeah, I mean, I think I think if you look at any of those additional names, like if Joe Adele was penciled in in the starting lineup, you know, playing alongside Mike Trout in Anaheim, yeah, I mean, I would put him on on the list, and I think the same with Nate Pearson. I think Nate Pearson is going to put up numbers, uh, you know, in whatever, especially in a smaller amount of time. You know, I, I do have this question, you know, for, for young pitchers. Um, and it's part of the reason why, you know, I can I pitch pick Mitch Keller is that I think a young pitcher could come out and start really well. And it's a 60 game season. You know, it's the, the, the shorter season I think is, could work to the advantage the, you know, the league won't have as much time to catch up to him. Then it's a question of adjustment. So I think Nick Pearson, if he were in, in Toronto opening day, he'd put up enough numbers uh, from, a, from a strikeout standpoint and things like that, where I think he would vault from sort of that additional names up into more serious contention. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think Pearson, a healthy Lizardo would be the two guys who would, who would jump out to me. Although I agree with Jonathan, it's a little easier to bet on hitters. You know, I mean, a guy who might be sneaky rookie of the year possibility for the Cubs is Nico Horner. I mean, we know he can hit. He came up last year as an emergency call up in September when they literally ran out of infielders. Um, and he hit 280 with three homers in 20 games. You know, Jonathan and I both saw him star in the fall league right out of the draft. Um, and I think there's a chance he could open the season as their second baseman. That, you know, he just he, he has pushed the envelope and how fast – They've expected him to move ever since he, he turned pro, um, you know, and kind of funny because he was a guy who went, I want to say, 24th overall. And I don't think a lot of people thought he was necessarily going to be a first rounder. And I, I just remember after that fall league on the first year, guys who did not know his background as much, pro scouts saying, how'd this guy last 24 picks? He's, he's too good for that. Um, and so Nico Horner might be a, a sneaky rookie of the year pick if he gets to play right off the bat. I'll throw in one other sneaky who's not even on this story, and and, and that's Kyle Lewis, um, who uh, you know the Mariners are having going to have a lot of prospects on their opening day roster. He's going to play every day. I think he showed last summer that the power plays at the big league level. Uh, we'll see if it gets exposed, but he could put up some some silly numbers if he continues to do what he did last summer. Uh, so he's another guy. And we mentioned Devin White because he's a you know a top 100 guy who's going to be the first baseman, and you know he could figure into the mix as well. But you know Kyle Lewis is a guy who, uh, because of all the because of the knee injury and it took him so long to come back, you know, we you know we all root for him, great guy, but has fallen a little bit in terms of his prospect status. Uh, I think he's he's sort of a sleeper pick too. Yeah, he was uh, he was a top 100 prospect uh, coming right out of the draft, I believe, and. I mean, that's that that outfield of the future is has to be among the most exciting and in, in all of baseball uh, with Kalenic and Julio Rodriguez and and we three of us were talking about it earlier this morning actually the fact that uh, Lewis is not even their third highest ranked outfield prospect uh, that would be Jake Fraley. What about uh, what about Joey Bart? How much more likely are we to see him this year because Buster Posey will not be playing? Do you feel like that? You know, I know they're they're hesitant to just unleash him because of that, and I don't think that's the plan. But are we? It seems 
kind of natural that we that it would be more likely that we'd see him now. But is is that the case? Do you think? Well, I mean, it's more likely, I guess, you know, because Buster Posey, you know, won't play this year. I mean, I think nothing's normal anymore. But in a normal season, the expectation kind of was that Joey Bart would come up by the end of the season. Um, you know, is he more likely? Yes. I don't think we're going to see him early. Um, you know, I, I, I do our giant stuff. I actually talked to the giants a little bit about this when I was working on where draft guys might fit in their top 30. And, you know, the thing to remember about him is he, he hasn't played a lot. You know, yes, he was the number two pick in the 2018 draft. He got hurt last year. Uh, a pitch broke a bone in his left hand. He missed six weeks. He, he only played uh, 79 games in the regular season. Only 22 of those were in double A. So he's very played very little in the upper minors. And they went to Arizona Fall League to make up for lost time and look great there. And got hit by another pitch and he broke his right thumb. So he, I mean, he really has not played very much. And that's a position, obviously, that there's, you know, a lot of work that goes into it to be able to catch at the big league level. And while he has made progress, and I think he's going to be a good defensive catcher. I don't think you want to rush that and have him not be ready to handle big league pitchers or call a big league game or be polished in those areas. So, yes, I think it's probably more likely we'll see him. I I think we would have seen him maybe late in the year anyway. Um, But I don't think even though their their catching depth chart right now is I guess it's Tyler Heineman and Rob Brantley, which isn't (laughs) the most thrilling catching depth chart. uh, I, I don't think they're going to push it. I, I think they're still going to look at it. Like, the Giants realistically are probably not going to contend this year either. And so I think they're going to look at it strictly as, you know, when he's ready, we'll give him some exposure, but we're not going to rush it just because Buster Posey isn't playing this year. All right. We want to take a look at some prospects who have been impressing in summer camp so far, several of them guys that we've already talked about. But before we do, here's a word from our sponsor. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. Medication is appropriate. Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. Okay, so a lot more games going on now, inter-squad games. We have some exhibition games coming up. There's going to be a lot more baseball to watch uh, over the course of the next week or so before the season actually begins. And we've gotten the chance now to see several prospects in action and uh, a few guys really impressing so far. We've seen uh, some highlight real plays on defense 
uh, probably most notably by Riley Green of the Tigers. We've seen uh, Jared Kalinick hit uh, two home runs uh, in a game, um, which has kind of put him, I mean, not that he wasn't certainly on on anyone's radar, but Jonathan, I know that that actually moved him up into your, your group of long shots in terms of Mariners prospects who could make the opening day roster. Yeah. I, ha- I mean, I really, I had to, you know, and I don't, I don't think they're going to get his service clock start. He's only 20. Um, you know, he did make it to double a last year, but I, I think, you know, it's kind of one of those old sorts. Like if this were a spring training, you were going off every, you know, there would be some pressure again the Mariners are going to have a lot of prospects um I think you know what could happen is maybe if they get off to a good start uh and they have some holes in their outfield if somebody's not performing I mean they they could have a starting opening day outfield of three prospects with Kyle Lewis um Braden Bishop and Jake Fraley um just because of of injuries and things like that Malik Smith was slow to come back but the fact that he's what he's gone four for six with two doubles and two homers in three games um so that makes it really really interesting um you know so i think that it's highly unlikely that's why i didn't make him a contender but he's a long shot and if he keeps doing that he at least is going to accelerate the amount of time it's going to take for him to get his his first call up and it could come this summer Jim, anyone in uh, in particular caught your eye so far in summer camp? Yeah, I think Riley Green did um, with that that catch he made to, to steal the home run the other day. Because uh, it's like when I think of Riley Green, I think of a guy who can hit. You know, he's going to hit for average. He's going to hit for power. Um, I'm not sold. He's necessarily going to be a center fielder, but I do think he's more athletic than I I guess initially realized. Um, and again, I mean, look, this guy is not going to make the Tigers who aren't contending, you know, a year out of high school after being the number five pick in the draft. But man, with the way he's played in spring training, his pro debut, um, his approach is so good. I mean, I'm beginning to wonder, like, is Riley Green going to be in the big leagues, uh, you know, before he turns 21 at the end of next season? Like, you know, I mean, and, and the answer, I guess, is probably not because he's not going to get a full season of development this year, but that guy just continues to impress. I, I mean, we knew he was good, and it seems like he just keeps looking better and better. Yeah, and in that same game, uh, Derek Hill, another Tigers prospect, made a really nice catch, and he had made headlines and highlight reels a few days earlier with uh, a, a sensational catch, which I know uh, I think both of you guys, Jim and Jonathan, both uh, – discounted the quality of the catch due to the uh, the initial route taken on the ball. But here's a guy who um, has gone from being the Tigers' number two prospect back in 2015. I don't know whether he was on the top 100 overall list back then. Uh, but, no, but a, a steady a steady decline um, in, in the Tigers' top 30 list from two to three to – eight uh to 15 uh 14 in 2018 and then completely off the list last year and then back on at number 30 
this year, and I, w- I would have to guess that that's largely due to his defensive prowess. Yeah, he did hit the ball with, I was going to say, just sorry, Jonathan, with a little bit more authority last year, which was encouraging. But the the, the issue with, with Derek Hill is he, he's just never really hit in pro ball. I mean, he's a career 243 hitter with a 349 slugging percentage. Um, you know, he can run, he can play defense. It, it's going to come down to, to, to hitting with enough authority, I think, to be able to, to play in the big leagues. And unfortunately for him, uh, you know, when we update the list, because of the draft, the Tigers had a strong draft. He'll be, he'll bounce back off their list again as we add Spencer Torkelson and company. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, even with the, the uptick and you know, he, he hit 14 homers, um, you know, it was a, a bit better. It was still 38 walks and 147 strikeouts. And that was in, in double a, uh, it was in the fall league, showed a couple of glimpses in the fall league, but again, five walks, 21 strikeouts, in 17 games, um, you know, he's going to have to show a lot more power uh, for that to play. You know, if he's going to be that sort of Mike Cameron, power speed, ton of strikeouts kind of guy, he's uh, still only, what, 23? So, um, no, he's 24, sorry. Um, so could he end up being like a backup outfielder? Maybe. But he, as Jim said, he just hasn't hit enough. The, the defense has always has always been, in, you know, the, his his real standout tool along with the speed. So another player that uh, we saw get a hold of one uh, a couple of days ago, and and we talked uh, along with Mike Rosenbaum, who does the Blue Jays list, um, is Alejandro Kirk, and. A couple things caught my eye. Uh, Mike sent that highlight along to us, and, and the first thing that jumped out at me when I when I looked at him on the Blue Jays list is the fact that he's five foot eight, two hundred and sixty five pounds. He's listed as um, he's a the Blue Jays top catching prospect. Signed out of Mexico in two thousand sixteen. Another thing that that uh, really jumped out at me and surprised me is the fact that he is one of only 25 prospects on any team top 30 prospect list who has a hit tool of 60 or more. Um, And, uh, you know, most of those guys I think are are players whose names are, would be pretty recognizable. Um, You know, the, the hit tool of 60 plus is generally going to get you, uh, a top 100 prospect ranking. Um, I know this is Mike's team and he does this list, but uh, anything that either of you guys can can tell us uh, more about Kirk? Well, you know, when I did, when I was talking, referencing to being in Dunedin for my last day of spring training, uh, you know, Kirk came up when I was talking to, to farm director Gil Kim, uh, you know, kind of interesting, you know, signed for just $7,500 when, when they signed him. But uh, he had made a nice impression in big league camp. To that point, I think he was four for eight. He hit an opposite field homer off of Bud Norris. Um, they like his game calling skills. He's improving as a receiver. Uh, you know, really good feel for the strike zone uh, as a hitter. Um, so it'll be, you know, they're they're very impressed with him. He, he you know, they, they have good catching depth in their system, and he might be the best guy they have among all of them. I think the thing that stands out offensively is and he's not, he hasn't played above a ball yet. 
uh, you know, so keep that in mind. But 89 walks and 60 strikeouts in his career so far. So that's led to a you know 315 batting average, 418 on base. He's got a 918 OPS in his minor league career. As brief as it's been, it's only uh, just over 500 at bats total uh, in, in his career. But uh, he kind of entered pro ball with this unbelievably advanced approach, and it's worked so far. I think you know eventually when minor league baseball returns and he can jump up to to the upper levels it'll be interesting to see what he can do another guy that uh has impressed in summer camp is yankees right-hander clark schmidt who was the yankees top pick in 2017 number 16 overall 24 years old um is number 88 on our top 100 prospects list. Um, and I, I didn't look to see where he stands on, uh, on our list of prospects who could potentially make the big league team, but what's, what's his outlook for, what do you guys see from him for this year? Yeah, he, I mean, he's a contender. Um, he's got a chance, you know, it'll be, we still don't know if team, our team's going to go to a six man rotation, um, you know, are they going to piggyback guys? Are they going you know, what, what are they going to do? But I, I think you're going to see him probably make the Yankees opening day roster. He's been, he's been very impressive in camp. He was very impressive down the stretch. I mean, the reason his development moved maybe uh, a little bit more slower than some was, you know, when they made him the 16th overall pick, he had Tommy John surgery a month before the draft. Um, you know, he really, you know, he, he was always a guy with multiple pitches. You know, he, he fared very well in the SEC when he was at South Carolina. And he seemed to kick it into a, another gear. He was a little bit more locked in with his, his control and command down the stretch last year in double A. So the Yankees were excited about what he might be able to do. You know, he pitched well in in, in spring training before summer camp. So he's just he's, – he's consistently looked good, you know, looked very good, you know, going back to the end of last season. So, I, I you know, he, he – Again, I mean, that's the Yankees team that's going to win a lot of games. He might be a nice sleeper rookie of the year pick, too, if, if he gets the opportunity. So I mentioned that um, there's a lot more baseball happening right now, inter-squad inter games, and then some teams are able to play up to three exhibition games prior to the start of the season. Uh, today alone, I was, I was actually just watching the White Sox inter-squad game uh, that started at 1130 Eastern this morning, and that's – that's a great team to watch prospects wise because uh, Madrigal, Robert, uh, Vaughn, uh, Mendick, Mercedes, all, all were in the lineup, one of the two lineups today. Uh, also today, Astros, Mariners, Reds, Phillies, Rangers, Indians, Braves, Brewers, Cardinals, all those teams have intra-squad games that you can watch, uh, watch a live stream of and, and will continue to have more games streamed uh, on MLB.com as we near the beginning of the season. Um, so last week we talked a little bit about the fact that the Futures game would have been on Sunday, uh, this past Sunday. And uh, of course that was canceled due to the coronavirus pandemic um, was supposed to be held in Los Angeles now. Uh, L.A. will get the All-Star Game in 2022, and uh, next year 
we will be in Atlanta for the All-Star game and for the Futures game. And we thought we'd take a look ahead now to talk about some of the players that we might see in Atlanta in the Futures game next year. Um, Jonathan, why don't you tell us uh, about a couple of players that you either expect to see or, or would like to see in the Futures game next year? Yeah, um, I think there are so many, so many options of, of younger guys uh, who, who could be there. But I think the, the, the guy who first came to mind was Christian Robinson, the Diamondbacks, um, just because, you know, I've, I've written about him. I don't do the Diamondbacks list now, but I did when he first entered pro ball. Um, one of the top prospects out of the Bahamas just has tremendous raw power that he uh, really started to tap into last year when he played and made his way to full season ball. Um, I think there's more to come. And I think seeing that kind of power on a big stage uh, would, would be uh, unbelievable. And uh, he's still only 19. So I guess by next year's futures game, he'll be 20 years old. Um and, you know, so I, I think that's, uh, you know, the, the first guy that, that comes to mind. And I'm completely blanking on who the other person I said I wanted to talk about. So I'm going to Jim pick a guy. Well, uh, it's, a, it's OK, knows. because the other the other guy that you talked about, we've, we've already talked about in a different segment. And that was Riley Green. Phew. All right. Good. Well, yeah. I mean, I think Jim said all he has to, you know, that needs to be said about Riley Green. Um you know, when we do the draft stuff, I do Florida, so he was my guy. And the thing that was really interesting is he was a guy who, going into the spring, was thought of as this incredible pure hitter. And, you know, but there were questions about the other parts of his game. And he showed up in the spring in much better shape, better run times, much more athletic. Uh, that clearly continued uh, with what, you know, we've seen during his, his training and during his pro debut. And, and as Jim said, his... Uh, his advanced bat is going to let him move pretty quickly. Uh, so, you know, we, we might better, you know, he may be one of those guys that we have to get in the futures game next year. Otherwise we, we may miss him because he could get to Detroit that quickly. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, the, the, the two guys I'd be most interested in seeing are two guys who have yet to make their pro debuts. You know, one is Jason Dominguez. And I know it's easy to say, okay, you know, he's only going to be 18 next year. Is he really going to be in the futures game? Yeah, I don't think they would have done it this year, but the Yankees talked about how there were people in their organization who felt like he could have gone to low class A to begin his pro career this year. So I'm going to go out on a limb and, and I'm going to, I'm going to, well, I'm not going to go on a limb. I'm going to root for Jason Dominguez in the 2021 uh, Futures game. And then the other one, you know, and I guess it's possible it could be in the big leagues, but Spencer Torkelson, you know, we, we've talked, we spent a lot of time talking about him on the podcast all years, the number one pick in the draft. And, you know, most talented hitter to come out of the draft maybe in the last 20 years. Um, again, I mean, the Tigers are going to have some incentive not to rush him to the big leagues if they're not contending. And uh, so I'm really, you know, I guess maybe part of this is subconsciously. I just want to see these two guys play in a professional game. So for right now, I'll, I'll, I'll root for the 2021 uh, Futures game and, and hope that I get to see them in a professional game before that. Yeah, Dominguez is the only player – among MLB's top 100 prospects that we have pegged with a 2024 ETA. So even if you don't get them next year, Jim, I think uh, it's likely that, that we'd have another shot. 
Well, uh, Del Matthews will not agree with me, but I'd be happy to see Jason Dominguez in the 2021, 2022, and 2023 futures game. I would have no problem with that. So um, we will we will see. I got your back on that one. I'm with you. I think that might uh, that might tie him for a futures game record for appearances. Has, has anyone ever played in four futures games? You know, the thing I, are there futures games records that are equally accessible. I'm. I don't know how easy it is to yeah, win. Like I, I think Lindor played in three. Lindor played in three. I want to say Justin Huber may have played in three. That's a good call. I think you might be right. Javi so Baez, maybe? It, I, don't, I don't think. I think, you know, Huber is because of the need for a world catcher, has always, uh, first baseman, rather, has always been uh, a challenge. So, um Huber played in 2002, 2003, and 2005. That is correct. And Lindor Lindor played in 2012, 13, and 14. Where are you looking this up? He just remembers off the top of his head. Exactly. Proprietary uh, spreadsheet here, Jim. Um, Javi Baez only played one year, Jim. Uh, Should have played more. Yes. Yeah, so Dominguez, the only 2024 ETA on the top 100 prospects list. Two 2023 guys, Corbin Carroll and Francisco Alvarez. But basically, when we look at uh, guys that we want to see in next year's Futures game, we'll, we'll be limiting ourselves to anyone who has an ETA of 2022 or beyond. And there will certainly be some guys that end up in that game that will uh, make their big league debuts in, in 2021. For, but for our purposes, we'll focus on guys. Can um, I interject real quick, Jason? I found, I found secret information on the, on the web. It looks like Gorkis Hernandez and Shinsu Chu are also three-time Futures gamers. Wow. Edwin, Edwin Encarnacion, Carlos Carrasco. All played in three Futures games? Yes. There you go. Wow. Um, okay, so real quick to uh, to wrap things up here, uh, just a quick update on draft signings. As of last week when we recorded, there were two first-rounders who had yet to sign, um, and uh, they have both signed now, so all – First rounders have signed, and Jim, 147 out of 160 total. Correct, and then that's not counting. I mean, there are guys like uh, Blaze Jordan with the Red Sox, Kyle Harrison with the Giants, Carter Baumler with the Orioles, all of whom, you know, there have been seven-figure bonus numbers reported, but the deals aren't official. But there are. At this point, all but 13 players have officially signed contracts. Five of the 13 unsigned guys are Marlins right now. And you're still uh, you're still holding on to your prediction that all 160 will sign? I have not heard any reason to think otherwise. I have not heard any inkling. I mean, I, I felt like all along, we've been saying this all summer, that anybody who didn't sign would be a failed physical because I think teams were being especially careful – to figure out, you know, how they could work the five-round bonus pools, which were smaller than usual. But I, I have not heard any, anything negative about guy, a guy failing a physical 
that was going to lead to him not signing. So I, I will continue to be optimistic that we will set a record this year and have no unsigned draft picks in the first five rounds. The uh, final two first rounders to sign were uh, Austin Martin, Blue Jays top pick out of Vanderbilt, who got $7 million, which was uh, above the slot value of $6.18 million. And uh, Garrett Mitchell was the Brewers' first round pick out of UCLA. And he got slot value at $3.24 million. All right, that is – oh, go ahead, Jim. I was just going to say, I think Austin Martin was the 13th player in draft history to get $7 million. And he did receive the second highest bonus this year and, and then was added to the player pool after he signed his – Thank God I didn't uh, cut you off before – you gave us that nugget before we uh, wrap up here, Jay. There you go. Well, well, one more. It's like you shorted that you owe us $825, Jason, because he got $7,825. So you owe him $825. I should have I should have ended this podcast when I started. To. Yes, he takes Venmo, so you're, you're all right. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Pipeline Podcast. We'll be back at you next week as we approach opening day in this 2020 season. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.